Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Radical Research on the HR Happy Hour podcast series. My name is Madeline Morano. I'm your host, and I am joined today by two fellow analysts and industry experts, Josh Burson, who needs no introduction in this industry, and Jason Serrato, who is a former Gartner analyst and now the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Eightfold. So welcome, Josh. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Madeline. It's great to be here. Yeah, and we yeah, were thank all you. happy to join you. I'm happy you're both here because we have spent a lot of time together. We were all together last week in San Francisco at the Eightfold Cultivate conference. And there were a lot of big themes that we were talking about, skills, AI, talent intelligence. And the one theme that really stood out to me was around embracing change. And that was something that I heard in every single session. Josh, you covered it in your keynote. And Josh, I was hoping you could maybe kick off and talk a little bit about an article that you wrote recently on pace setters and sure. how companies are really embracing this change. And I feel like we, every company that I met with at this event last week was what I would call a pace setter. I don't know if you felt the same way. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it's that Eightfold uh, appeals to those kinds of companies. The more traditional companies are stuck in sort of traditions. But <clears throat> basically what we've been doing, we've been working with Eightfold for at least three years, maybe longer, and not so much just as an industry analyst, but really as a research firm, looking at the data in Eightfold of skills, uh, job models, careers, and what's trending up and what's trending down industry by industry, and then calling lots and lots of companies to understand what does this mean to them. And uh, you know, we did it in healthcare, then we did it in consumer banking, we're just finishing it in con consumer packaged goods, and the next one we're doing is pharma. And then we looked back at all of these companies. And the nice thing about Eightfold is it has a massive amount of data. It has a time series element to it. So you can literally go forward and backward in time. And we found there were in both in all three of the first industries we did, there were a small set of companies that were way ahead of their peers in advanced skills, advanced careers, and then their financial performance. And when you look, when you look at who they are, by name, you know who they are because they're very successful companies. And so we went back and looked at what it was that was unique about them, and we defined them as pace setters. And one of the things, there's several things we found, but the two things I'll mention the most, number one is if you look at the percentage of job titles or job families in different roles, they're different. In those companies, say in banking, for example, they have more people in IT, fewer people in the front office, uh, and a significant higher number of people in what we call transformation roles. Transformation roles are roles as internal consultants, people that facilitate workshops, people that do change management, people that do um, you know, business transformation stuff. Because what happens in companies, and I've had many, many conversations about this, is an executive will come to a conclusion that we need to do this different thing. We need to, you know, build this new business area, or we need to, you know, reskill people, or we need to reorganize. And then they have nobody to actually facilitate that. And so they might hire a consulting firm who does a reasonable job of it. And then the consulting firm leaves and the company's left with this change that they really don't know how to how to really operate. So so these companies are in some sense they have a lot of internal transformation skills inside of the company. And that's, a, that's actually a skill. 
It's not just a job, it's a skill. The second thing that's unique about these companies, these pay setters, is they have more advanced skills. So if you look at banking, the older traditional banks have lots of COBOL and mainframe skills. The new banks or the, the faster moving banks have skills in digital technologies and now AI. And AI is going to be another sort of push to this new area of skills. And so, you know, the, you ask yourself, well, how do they have these new skills? How do they get them? Well, it turns out they don't necessarily just hire them because people with new skills don't want to work for companies that don't use those skills. And so it turned out that in the banking industry, they have a terrible time hiring these skills because nobody wants to work on old mainframe systems. They want to work on something new. So they actually have to hire, recruit, retain, reskill, and develop projects around advanced technology that attract these new kinds of people. So it's sort of a chicken and egg problem that if you don't become innovative, you can't hire innovative people. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. I mean, even that first piece, story. like of the pace setter definition, I feel like that's where companies get stuck on the transformation. They all want to do it. And if you ask any company, they want to turn, you know, be able to go through this transformation and they want to embrace a skills-based approach, but they get stuck on being able to do that. And then nothing happens. And to your point, then how can you hire well, the best people? Yeah, like here's an example of something that just stuck me so easy to understand. I have a very good friend who works, he's a sales guy in an insurance company. And he says, we have a really good products. We have really good pricing. We know our market really well. We have great customers, but it takes us forever to do contracts. He says, I spend weeks and weeks and weeks on contracts. So I go to the head of sales and I say, we need better operations. We need better systems. We need better documentation. We need some tools. He goes, hmm, I agree with you but there's nobody to work on that. We just don't do that. And I'm like, what? They, they, they didn't design themselves to transform themselves. Um, and so, you know, an eightfold is a facilitator of that in many ways. We can talk about that later, but um, so anyway, that's a, that you can get, people can download that study off our website. It's, it's very easy to understand and you're going to read it and you're going to go, it's like, it just hits you like a ton of, ton of bricks. We, we need to hire people that know how to do this stuff. Yeah, it clicks, right? Yeah. Jason, you you did a, um, a great panel discussion at the event with Arcadis, with Amy from Arcadis. And I feel like she, she would be a pace setter. She would fit into this category of thinking about transformation and then thinking about those skills. Was that a takeaway for you at the event? Yeah, Amy Baxendale, her, her title is head of organizational capability and workforce readiness. And I love that title. Um, it's, it, it just really speaks to, um, first off, my HR heart, having worked in HR for some time, but also just the changing shape of HR and the HR function. So I would definitely say she's a pace setter and she's a rock star. Um, a big part of what she talked about was just the, the need to just get started. There is no perfect time to, to, to jump in. And if you don't start soon, you'll be behind. So one of the things that I've noticed, um, especially since the start of the new year, we've been doing a lot of events around the country and people have visited us from around the world. And we've been doing some of these events in partnership with uh, Josh and the Josh Burson company. Everyone that I keep talking to is no longer asking about what or why. They're now focusing on how and when. Right. There really is now this drive to 
act quickly and strategically, but there really isn't this period of convincing anymore. People are now seeing with the pace of change, they really have to rethink everything and do things differently. So with Amy sharing her story about what they're doing at Arcadis, you know, they're doing that for, I believe, 36,000 employees globally in 70 different countries. Um, they've built out kind of a test and learn strategy with a variety of horizons um, to kind of not try to boil the ocean all at once, but to kind of deploy and redeploy and test and learn um, and get some quins and really gain um, support and champions within business. And the other key part was, you know, this isn't something that's just an HR exercise led for HR by HR. It really, it really is something where she's grown with internal champions and engaged the entire C-suite. And as part of their organization has gone through digital transformation and in, in industry transformation, they're now leveraging the entire enterprise to really drive talent transformation. Yeah, she mentioned that it changed her relationships internally with a lot of the key stakeholders that she wouldn't have had if, if they didn't go through this transformation. When you come to those conversations with new ideas, right, and, and you know, interesting solutions, people are more apt to kind of listen to what you have to share. And once you start to show uh, the, the approach and the capability of these new tools, you know, they, they tend to raise their hand and say, oh, I'd like to try that. So if I think about like the two takeaways for me from the event, they involve both of you, which is why I wanted to do this with, with both of you. Um, Josh, the takeaway from you was around that AI framework that you presented with a yeah. different generation of solution providers that are either emerging or first generation or second generation, because there's so many providers out there that are saying they're AI providers. And now the generative AI, you know, capabilities and the providers that are becoming generative AI providers, they just create so much confusion in the market. And I think people don't really understand, but you've created these categories. So I'm hoping you can walk us through that. Yeah. And then Jason, I'm hoping you could share the big announcement from Eightfold, which is around skills-based talent planning. Well, sure. Let me go first and we'll let Jason talk about the planning um, stuff. What I did was, you know, Aunt Madeline, you and I know each other very well. You know what it's like when one of these new fads come along, everybody just suddenly says they do that too. Like yeah. everything else in tech has been like this. So everybody says they do AI. And so the customers are completely confused. What what do you mean by you do AI or you have AI? So what I did is I've talked to, I, I interviewed probably 40 companies, including a lot of the leaders in AI in our industry. And I asked them, what, what exactly are you doing and what's different about it, do you think, than everybody else? And what I basically discovered was, and this is coming out in a white paper we're going to have at our conference, is there's three more or less categories of vendors. There's Vendors that I call emerging, and they are companies that are just getting started in using AI in some fashion, usually generative AI. A lot of them are tools providers or content companies or training companies, or they're building you know, um, chatbots that might let you send candidate emails and communicate with candidates, things like that. And those are great. Um, their whole platform is a, is a transactional platform, but they have an AI piece added on. The second generation, are companies that I say that I mentioned what I call first generation, where AI is built into the platform. So if you think about Workday, um, or maybe perhaps Oracle, um, they have added machine learning capabilities to different parts of the platform. So 
uh, and Cornerstone's done this. So like it'll recommend courses to you, recommend certain objects, recommend experiences, because the system is learning from your experience what you click on and what you do. It's teaching itself what to recommend you to do, to do next. And that's not super sophisticated, but it is AI. Um, and a lot of the early days of skills inference, as you know, Madeline, was, was natural language processing. And it was you know, a form of this, what I call first generation. And then there's the really new second generation AI vendors where the whole platform is an AI platform first with data and applications built on top of it. And that's where I put Eightfold. And there's a few other vendors like that. Seekout, Gloat is sort of that kind of company. Beamery is that kind of company. But most of the other ones are not. Most of the yeah. other ones are transaction systems with AI capabilities. And this third generation, these second generation companies are built on large language models. They are built on neuro neural networks. They're basically data companies. So they have this massive amount of data, including your company's data, but a lot of other data. And they can see from what's going on inside of your company relative to what's going on in the rest of the world, what you could be doing better, how you could better match candidates, how you could better promote people, how you could better understand pay and so forth. And those third, second generation companies have very different technology stacks. They have vector databases. They have uh, lots of models running. They, they can replace models over time. They can choose to use chat GPT-4 or Palm or another LLM. Um, then they have engineers that understand these big data systems. And so I think that the transactional companies, the more of the traditional HR companies are going to be forced to reckon with <laughs> these second generation companies that just can deal with much more complex data and give us much more important information. Recruiting is the biggest market for this because recruiting is such a gigantic data problem. But mobility, internal mobility, training, education, um, even pay. There was one of the companies at the Eightfold Conference is now starting to experiment with putting pay data into Eightfold to understand the difference, the relationship between pay and tenure and performance and other factors. And you know, for me as an analyst, um, I think that's the holy grail in HR is figuring out how to use all of these interesting but disparate sources of data about people to make better decisions, to do better planning, to understand skills, to understand careers, to understand retention, et cetera. And so, you know, that's that's very high level, um, Madeline. And then in the paper that's coming out in a few weeks, I went through the architecture of exactly what's different between these second gener second generation companies and the others. <clears throat> so interesting. And I think, you know, even for recruiting, there's so much focus on responsible AI and ethical AI. And if you think about like, this, the first generation providers, like the ATS providers, when you think about AI matching, a lot of them have AI matching capabilities, which nobody questions because it's just this add-on into their platform and it's not ethical, it's not responsible, and it doesn't provide a lot of data to make any type of decision for organizations. And you compare that to this second generation of providers in Eightfold and the AI matching that you know, happens there and it's, you know, ethical AI and it's built on these LLMs. Well, think, and, yeah. You know, I think these second generation systems are orders of magnitude more powerful. It isn't just a little bit more powerful. I mean, the, the imp I've talked to Ashutosh about this in great detail. The, the models 
that Eightfold uses to match a candidate to a job are so much more sophisticated than the stuff that ATS has used. It's it's just, I don't even want to get into the details of it, but um, I think customers are going to find out, and I'm sure they are, Jason, that once they turn on these platforms like Eightfold, they're able to do things that they could just never do, period, in these other systems at all. Yeah, we know what's, uh, you know, what else is really interesting, I'd love your take on this too, both of you is, it seems like the buying behavior is we need to replace our ATS, I'm talking about recruiting, we need to replace our ATS. And then the next step is we need an AI platform, or we need some type of experience or talent intelligence platform. And I think what a lot of companies are going to realize, Josh, to your point is that, you know, these AI platforms and these talent intelligence platforms can do so much and change so much. That the buying behavior, at what point does it switch so well, that it's not, not replacing ATS? Yeah, I think the ATS is a legacy system. You're still going to need it, but you can just, yeah. it's a commodity really in some yeah. sense. So, because yeah. Eightfold isn't an ATS unless something's changed, Jason, but but it just adds value in nope. so many ways. Nope. Of it. uh, it's sort of learning management system. Yeah, and... and... Yeah, and the power the power of the AI and the way it's built is definitely bringing new views and cuts at this data. So, for example, understanding context and relationships, right? The AI matching isn't just using keywords and semantic understanding and natural language processing. It's looking at the actual environment in which this decision and this match is being made and taking that into account. So as you start to incorporate your organizational data with Eightfold's broader data set, you generate outcomes that become specific to you because it understands your context in in concert with everything else that it's bringing to the table. Let me give you, man. Let me give you an example that I talked to Ashutosh about. So, you're you're doing a bunch of recruiting and you're competing with a bunch of other companies for really smart people, and you want to know who the right fit is. It has nothing to do with matching the words on their resume. So what, what Ashutosh told me is there were three, at least three models. He wouldn't tell me all of them that are working. The first is they look at all the people that ever applied for your company over the last five years. What is it about them that made them apply? That's one, that's one part of the model. Second model is of all those people that applied, which might be tens of thousands of people or maybe hundreds of thousands, who was interviewed? Who did we select to interview and why? That's the second iteration. The third was, who did we make job offers to? He said, those are basically three different optimization models running in the system across huge amounts of data that are getting smarter and smarter and smarter about who you should be talking to. It has nothing to do with what words they had on their resume. It's way more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, ATS we does is it just looks at the words and matches yeah, based just, on those keywords. Yeah. So interesting. Jason, how does all of this kind of play into this big announcement around skills-based talent planning? So, yeah, we're very excited about this uh, new announcement. You know, going back to, you know, the Global Workforce Intelligence Research Project and the work that we've been doing with Josh Burson and the, the Burson Company, um, he mentioned that pace setter research. Well, one of the elements of that pace setter research is the need to not just recruit and retain and redeploy, but also to start redesigning and re-engineering, you know, these roles and this work for the future. And I think that's what we are accomplishing with this announcement of Eightfold Skills-Based Talent Planning. So um, we know that there are several tools already out there that help organizations with workforce planning, whether they be in an ERP system 
system for manpower planning or they'd be in an HCM system for kind of functional planning. Um, this isn't that. But what it is, is it's a different take and a different look at this conversation to enhance some of that work that's already being done, but to do it through a skill-based lens. So for example, if job titles and job descriptions are not reliable, right, and they're going to change very rapidly, how do you plan for what you're going to need in the future? If you start to decouple this exercise from starting with the requisition or starting with the job title or starting with the role, and you begin kind of the analysis with looking at a collection of skills that you're trying, that you're to, trying track to track or that you've or benchmarked that. against your in industry or that you know are very important to what your organization is working on, you can then start to develop this view into your organization of who would my organization starts to align with those skills, right? How can I plan for those individuals? How can I start to nurture them? And if I know how many of those people I'm going to need, I also have the total talent view that Eightfold provides to understand, am I going to go external for some of these people? Am I going to go internal for some of these people? Do I have people in different roles that can be upskilled and redeployed into this? So the other part of this is besides starting with a skills-based approach, it kind of separates it from everything having to start with a requisition, right? And that that total need of what you're going to plan for for your organization isn't entirely dependent on creating a rec and starting outside. Yeah, it's completely, it's a completely different approach to workforce planning. Yeah, we were kind of laughing example. on the, I have, yeah, I have a very specific example of this, Jason. I just talked to a company today about this, a very, very large, very well-known technology company. And somebody at a very senior level went to the HR department, or maybe, I don't remember who, where this all started. I might've started with the CEO and said, we need to fix our talent management systems so that we can become this AI powerhouse that we want to become. I won't tell you who this company is, but you could guess. And so they said, well, what do we need to do with executive development, onboarding, recruiting? But I said, wait a minute, stop. That's talent management. This is different. You're talking about talent intelligence. You're talking about moving your entire company to this new domain of expertise. And the old, you know, kind of daisy chain talent management process is only a small piece of this. You need to know what these skills are and who has them and who has some of them and who has none of them um, and where are they going. And they were kind of like, oh, we thought we needed to buy a new talent management system. I said, no, I don't think that's going to do it. So, and I think that's kind of the story in most companies. Yeah, I'll give you my my personal story experiencing this working in HR. I was an HR executive business partner to a CIO, and they had just gone through the kind of manpower and, and workforce planning exercise to know that they had approval for 15 additional heads, right? They had headcount approval, they had budget approval, but the next step was... Hey, Jason, as my HR executive business partner, what I'd like to do with this headcount is I really need to start looking at what's happening in our industry to build kind of my CIO org of the future. So I know I have these credits for these 15 additions to my team, but I really don't know what this, these jobs should be. What are these job titles? What What is the makeup of these roles? Can you help with either benchmarking the industry or doing some skills analysis to help formulate you know, what, how I should use this, you know, this uh, headcount and, and this budget 
to really build something that is more forward-looking and helps us address what we're going to need going forward. And having been in that seat and gone through the challenge of using multiple tools and disparate data sets and trying to, you know, piece the puzzle pieces together, uh, I'm excited to be on the Eightfold team helping build a solution for that exact use case. Yeah, it's a completely different approach. Uh, but we were laughing a little bit on the pre-call because Josh, my first report when I worked for you was workforce planning and we did it together. <laughs> and I pulled it up recently. I need to send it to you because it's so funny because for traditional workforce planning, it hasn't changed at all. Like we could just copy and paste that same report and publish so it's it. Even because worse, it's Madeline, it's even worse than what you think. I just talked to a company that said the way we do workforce planning is individual managers go to the CEO with projects and they sell their projects to him. And if he likes their projects, he gives them headcount. And this is crazy. A very, this is a multi-billion dollar company. It's crazy. That's yeah. It. And it's it's it. And nothing's changed. Like even one of the case studies that we did was on like Volkswagen Group of America. And they were relocating from Michigan area to um, Virginia. And so they had to just find, and it was just headcount. It was just, we need to find people, nothing about skills, nothing about thinking about the skills in the automotive industry in Virginia, which doesn't really exist. How are we going to reskill these people right. into these roles? It was just like, we need numbers of every people. Every critical skill you want, somebody else wants the same skill. I mean, the funny thing about the banking study we just finished is none of these really high tech people want to work in banks. I mean, they, they go in and out of banks so fast. We did a flow analysis. Jason, I should show you this of the number of people from tech who went into banks and the number of people who went out, it's the same number. <laughs> they all went into banking and then left. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yeah, so this feels very different. I'm really excited about this announcement. I think it's gonna, you know, completely change how companies think about the long-term, you know, implications of what workforce planning really should be. This is strategic workforce planning. Definitely, yeah. Awesome. So, well, thank you both so much. I know we're probably kind of getting close to time here. I'm wondering if you could both just give us like one recommendation if we keep on this pace setter theme, like Josh, what would be your one recommendation for companies that want to be a pace setter? I mean, I think it's two quick things. One is don't try to boil the ocean. You can't transform your entire company in one fell swoop. Find a problem area or a business area or a, or a group that really needs help and start there. And the second is, you know, what you guys were talking about earlier, you can, you have to develop a muscle at this and you develop the muscle by doing it. It's like, you can't go to the gym and lift 500 pounds the first day. You got to start with 20 pounds and then 30 and then 40. So start something in a project, in an initiative, in a business area where everybody agrees we need to do the work because it's not going to go perfectly and you'll get smarter and smarter and smarter about the skills-based transformations and the next thing you know, a year later, you're going to be an expert at it. But And don't try to boil the ocean and do it for the whole company at once, because it just won't work very well. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, and I, would, and, and I would say something very similar. I think, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, how do I get started, right? Or how much do I have to know? How perfect does it have to be before I engage some technology and turn this on? I know a lot of organizations reach out to you, Madeline, for those type of uh, engagements. And the thing about it is, is um, the dynamic nature of town intelligence, this is going to rapidly change and evolve as you use it. So even if you feel you get it to a place that's perfect, it's going to change and adapt and evolve. 
So instead of working outside of the system and trying to get to a place of perfection, like Josh says, you have to build the muscle. You might as well start now. Um, and, and a big piece of that is just understanding that the way you had traditionally done this in the past, you know, these year long, two year long engagements of building out these uh, taxonomies and these approaches on paper and in Excel, those days are long gone. This is a, a much different approach. Um, and you have to you have to take the leap um, and really start um, using these type of t approaches and these type of technologies because they learn as they go as as will your organization. Your organization will learn as you go as well. And I'll just say um, my former colleagues at Gartner have a phrase they use around this. And they say one of the ways that AI is going to help transform HR is that HR has to get used to embracing the chaos. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. that's a key that's a key message. It doesn't have to be perfect to start. You just have to start. Yeah, and everyone's felt the chaos for the past three years, so it's going to constantly change in the future as well. Yep. So, Josh, um, before we just wrap up here, I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about a big conference you have coming up oh, um, next month. <laughs> okay, well, June 20th through 22nd, we have the Irresistible 2023. Are you coming, Madeline? we got to get you in. There. I want to come, yeah. I think <laughs> I'll definitely be there. we got to get you there. Um, in irresistible. It's in at USC on the campus. It's a beautiful venue. We get to do all sorts of cool stuff. We're going to go visit uh, the space shuttle there, the Coliseum. We have a bunch of parties. We're visiting a couple of media companies. We have, um, it's only a conference of 450 people. We're, we're already three quarters full. So there's about a hundred seats left. Lots of CHROs. Uh, we're going to be unleashing some of, some of our own new tools that we're doing in our own business for research and um, some AI stuff. Actually, that actually, Madeline, you're going to get it. out of this. Yeah, you see it. <clears throat> um, and um, it's a and and vendors are there, but very few. It's really not a vendor conference. It is really an HR conference and um, and very collaborative and designed for you to get to know everybody. And there's some education and um professional development um activities too so irresistible yeah, a really event. special event there's nothing like it so um definitely worth attending so awesome well thank you both so much and a big thank you to steve and trish for being great partners and hosting this podcast too so thanks everyone for listening Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.